Welcome to Night Frank Australia's podcast, The Property Perspective. I'm Erin Van Tuel, partner at One Barangaroo, and today I am joined by Ed White. Hello. Now, Ed, today's episode is quite a special one as it marks the first of our This Is Us series, where we will be delving into the big issues clients are currently facing. Hopefully, throughout the series, listeners will be able to get to know a bit about us and also how we can come together with the right expertise and fresh perspectives to spot and create opportunities. So, Ed, why are you passionate about real estate? I'm going to change the question. Go on. Which is, it's not real estate so much that I'm passionate about, but it's actually environment and spaces. I'm actually fascinated by towns, cities, villages, spaces and places, and real estate ultimately has a role to play in that because it can either foster a wonderful place to exist in a beautiful kind of open precinct environment or on the negative end it can offer a constrained place to live and I think those of us in real estate have a role to play in the type of lives that we can offer people who live within those spaces. Well I think we're very lucky here in Sydney in terms of where we live and certainly with wellness and lifestyle becoming even more important over the last few months for people as they think about how they want to live, where they want to live. In Knight Frank's City Wellbeing Index earlier this year, Sydney ranked seventh globally in terms of wellness. We've also got 46% of our public space here in Sydney is green space and parks. Mm. And we live obviously on one of the world's most exceptional harbours. In terms of residential property, the uplift for living on Sydney Harbour is 89%, which is the highest uplift globally for living on any waterfront location. Let me ask you a question, because you're very vocal about this. You have now worked for Knight Frank for? 14 years. 14 years, Mm. starting in London. Yes. Then coming all the way back over here. Yes. How would you say that the philosophy of real estate has evolved over time? if indeed it has, what do you think we've done well and where do you think we need to take bigger strides towards? Big question, lots of components. I think that we are making more moves to be less transactional and more in tune with what our clients are looking for. Also, I would like to see, and we are seeing certainly on the the project that I work on at Wambarangaroo, that projects are built around what the end user actually requires and wants and how they want to live. Mm. Um, and I think that is that is a change that's happening. The way, again, lifestyle and, and again, what's happened over the last six months or so, you know, has really brought that to the fore. How do people want to live? You know, now that we're living and working out of the same spaces, how is that going to work? And I think this is one of the issues that our developers at the moment are facing in terms of new build residential, taking those considerations as part of how they are planning and designing their buildings. These are really important considerations now and people, you know, buyers are going to be making more demands on developers for what's included, how much space they have to live in, separate rooms for different purposes, outdoor space, for example. These things are going to be more and more important to people. And in terms of our role within that, it's our role to make sure that we have our finger on the pulse of, of what people actually want. You know, what, are, what, are those, what are those requirements? And we obviously we have a brilliant research department that produces so much exceptional data and it's our responsibility to be able to, to advise our developer clients correctly and accurately that the end product is actually suited to requirement. So Ed, 
yeah. question for you. Obviously, we can't not speak about COVID because it's so dominating and has had such a big impact on so many industries. Yeah. What are you hearing from the clients that you're speaking to at the moment in terms of what their biggest concerns are? And where, yep. where are they seeing, or where are you being required to give the most assistance? That's a goodie. That's a biggie. So the thing is, it's the elephant in the room. I think there are, there are a couple of things at play, which is that we are in real estate. Many people who are in real estate have made their careers, they've made their money, they've built their self-identity around a way of doing things. And I think in one way, what the COVID-19 pandemic has done is it has pulled either the rug from out of some people's feet or pulled the veil over some people so that they can now see clearly. An analogy. Fancy you putting an analogy yes. and I love it. I'm warming up. Yeah. And so while I mix my metaphors, there's a bit of a tug of war between clients at the moment. And it goes something like this, because in the room that we're sitting in, of course, the listeners cannot see, we've got lots of these big glass towers, uh, office towers that you get in Sydney. Um, as the brilliant statistician who got in our research team provided to me yesterday, he said Sydney is currently, from an office perspective, 35% occupied. Wow. Melbourne, understandably, because oh. of the increased restrictions is 10% occupied. So what it means is this, that the real question is, are people going to come back to the office in the same way that they did before? Yes, they will come back into the office, but in what capacity? So really what our clients are wrestling with is this, if you are one of the major landlords, there are two narratives that are emerging. There is one, which is a keep calm and carry on narrative, which to some can sound a bit denialist, which goes something like, people are fed up of working from home. Mm. It was all a bit of a good ruse for a while. We thought it was all a bit fun to be appearing into Teams and Zooms call. But I think by week number three, those Friday Teams drinks wrapped up and people I sitting there. I wish that we'd kept our Friday pub quizzes going. They were really good They fun. were good. They were good, but mm. um, there was just too much cheating going on. There was I that. I mean, in the quiz. There was, is. yeah. The thing is, you've got that one narrative which says, people have failed for being at home. We've tried it. It worked for a while. There is a place for certain types of roles. And yes, there's some flexibility, but ultimately we are social creatures. We're creatures of habit. People are going to come back into the office space we believe, says said landlord, that you know by 2021, call it X date, call it April, May, June, doesn't matter, that we'll see occupancy rates back up above 60%. And we're hearing that from some of the major landlords. And then on the other side. Then on the other side. So that is the rug pulled under the feet. You know, that's our whole business yeah. model is created within, and I'm just talking office, and there's, of course, there are many other segments and sectors as well to consider. The other side is, and you see this, so Siemens have, uh, as in large tech company, created a total flex component into mm. their office, so they're working uh, workplace strategy, which means if you don't want to come to the office, you do not have to come to the office. Obviously, there's a way contractually they have to look at this, you, but you've seen a lot of the tech companies are looking at this as a way both to reduce the size of their physical footprint in office, which is huge overheads, as well as actually giving people the platform. And we do appreciate that in technology, you would expect and anticipate there are more people who sit down in front of their computers and there are programmers and there are coders, but there's this whole other swathe which says that the way that work is consumed now has to change 
commensurate with a sentiment that has actually been around for a long time. This kind of post-World War II um, factory-style clock-in, clock-out. Yes, it's definitely been dissipating. It's been easing over a number of decades. But still people shuffle onto trains looking rather gloomy and grey um, on a Monday and look even gloomy and grey as they go back home at 6.15 on a Monday night. And that's the paradigm that is being challenged, which is to say, how should we actually work in order to produce and perform at our best? And what is the physical environment that needs to be provided in order to do, to do that? And that is the curious and the interesting question that is the arm wrestle equation against, um, again, the keep calm and carry on. The fact of the matter is, at the moment, we don't have the data that gives us the no. answer, other than to say, Sydney is at 35% occupancy. And I can tell you that the allowance for people to turn up is well over 50%. So therefore, no. what is the disparity even between that 35 and 50? So at the risk of this becoming incredibly dry, what yeah. would be your personal preference in terms of how you would want to work? Is this, is this becoming incredibly dry? It is becoming dry. At the risk of it becoming incredibly dry. I didn't right. say it was. I just, right. let's do something, change tone slightly. What would be you personally, your ideal working week? Okay, well, look, let's lay down a straight question with a straight answer. Do you think you can? Yes. Okay. People need to come to work to feed off their colleagues and friends and to have that banter and to feel part of something and actually because that whole coexistence within work is part of our identity that is how we have evolved over a period of time and I think for many people we did realize that when we got stuck at home for days and days and days and days there was a real drift mm. so I'll start with saying that I have changed my initial response from what I was calling the COV-19 holiday. You were calling it the COV-19 holiday. six weeks was a really good idea. Then they opened up the pubs and then people started getting a bit chubby. And the thing is, first thing, work has to be a place that brings people together. So you ask the questions, what I would like to see. What I, what I would like to see is that the workplace becomes a place of congregation and community and collaboration and the design and the layout actually responds to that. Mm. And th then there are other spaces now, not everyone can be at home all the time. So then there is this other space where people can actually go away and do what I call their homework. So I'll give it two spaces. Space number one is about community and that should be centralized and it should be a place where people come together and it should not be these dark, dreadful offices where people sit down and open up their laptops. Space number two should be a space where those people, either as an individual or small groups, can actually go and break down that collaboration mm. and disseminate that work and actually put things together in the building blocks. That's what I would like to see. In terms of what does it mean to, in terms of five days or one day or two days, I think it's the wrong question. This whole how many days should you... It's the wrong question. The question is... How do, how do these groups of people within the, the, the roles that that organisation needs to perform and outcompete their rivals, how does that organisation need to work and what's the best environment? Mm. Let me reverse the question. Go on. All of the sins of the past are allowed to be wiped clean. We can finally start again and not carry the baggage of yesterday. What does Sydney 
look like if we'd never built any of these towers. You turn up today, it's got all the plumbing that you like, it's got all the kind of electrical components and everything, basically you don't have to sell all that stuff again. But you say, I'm now going to create a city that delivers for five million people using the entire expanse. That is a Give massive a, question. I, I think well, aesthetically... You've done this for 14 years. I thought you might have thought this one through. As, planned a city. It's yeah. sort of like fantasy football. Mm. Um, so I think aesthetically could be so much more exciting. We have the most mm. beautiful harbour and we have a lack of breathtaking or even interesting architecture. And I think that's where Crown Sydney has really made its mark on this town and will continue to do so. And we certainly look at it as being a third icon. The architecture is astounding. Even the way that that building is being constructed is astounding. And 10, 15 years ago, it, it actually wouldn't have even been possible to build. Mm. It's that complicated. I can see it from Birch Grove Oval. You can it see it from, heart. You can see it from everywhere in Sydney. I get photos sent to me all the time. Hey, I'm standing at blah, 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 mm. miles and miles away. Mm. And I can still see her. Um, her? It's definitely a it's her. It's more like a him. No, it's a her. And the commercial towers next door are definitely boys. She okay. is curvaceous and beautiful. That, that sandy brown. You know that people can't see out the windows because it's a podcast. Yeah. So I think aesthetically we could, we could do better. We could do better and we could embrace design and architecture better mm. to really highlight and complement this incredible harbour. The thing that is really interesting is that when you go to any of those beautiful old European cities. It's their heritage. Yes. Which is where all the congregation happens. And so again, when you go to the huge plazas in Madrid or Barcelona, and all the families are there, from the grandmother to the youngest to the youngest grandchild, they're all doing something. And that's where you realize that life really But it doesn't is. have to be just in, in heritage buildings. In you know, Obviously, there are new cities that have yeah. to deal with these issues. If you look yeah. at Dubai, very new city, incredible architecture turning up in Dubai. So it doesn't it doesn't need to be heritage, but it. But what's allowed for it, that? What what allows the decisions to be made well, for Dubai? Because uh, I think that's it's a very you know governmentally a very different yeah. different place to Sydney, and so the the planning controls and restrictions and who makes the decisions yeah. is very different processes there. But you can make a city exceptional from new in terms of what it is to look at. I agree. And, you know, those totally buildings agree. contribute in so many ways, not just not just because they're pleasing to look at, but people travel to Sydney to see the Sydney Opera House. They don't, you know, not not even to see an opera. It's only over there. It's only the over there for the podcast. Um, you know, people don't come to go to the Opera House necessarily to see an opera or a performance. They go to say, I touched that building, I've seen mm. it. And that's what buildings and exceptional architecture can bring. Because if we momentarily sidestep the biggest soundbite of our time, which is the pandemic, which came in just to usurp Brexit as the number one most talked about thing yeah. in the media, and that was a bit of a you-know-what. Wow. Yeah. But if we leave that aside, I'm going to put forward the notion that the biggest challenge of our time, and in case someone wants me to 
validate this and say first world problem. Yes, first world problem. It's the fact that we have not yet learned to cope with our digitization of everything. So this always on, this kind of separation of work and non-work mm. and constantly peering and peering and peering. I think that real estate, real estate has, I don't want to say it has its role within that because it's the other way around. It's actually go the fact that we do our thing all the time. So you will, with your one brand group, you get viewings on Saturdays, yes, we, a lot of viewings on Saturdays. Our and work then you is have, required. And then you'll have people inquiring all the way through yes. Saturday, and then you'll probably have international people who's their Saturday, it's your Sunday. Mm. So the the thing that has not yet been catered for, let's say another one of the elephants, first elephant room, pandemic, and what that means in terms of work, consumption of work, workspace, workplace, that whole kit and caboodle that comes with it, transport, travel, different spaces. The second thing for me, is actually how to deal with the always-on generation and how work fits within it. What are the safeguards? This, is, this isn't... In, sorry, I yeah. am interrupting, but this yeah. is interesting. The whole idea of a work-life balance, I have always really struggled with the concept because the two things are the same for me. Yep. I get a huge yeah. amount of enjoyment, reward from my job. I, lo- I love my job. I love what I do. Still and young. so I well no it's true and and so I don't feel like you used to feel like that yes I've always felt like that have you? I have I've always loved my job and I've never felt like oh crap the phone's ringing on a Saturday and this is my time because it's all my time it's all where I am me and where I give my best whether it's you know and that's the same at home or at work yeah. there are certain larger tasks that you know say I need to write a report or something that I would feel perhaps was an infringement of my own time that I have said I'm not going to do that kind of a task now on a Sunday afternoon if I can do it on a Monday for example but I don't the whole idea of a work-life balance like there is some separation we spend so much of our time thinking about work being at work thinking about what we might do at work, thinking about what's going to happen in the future with work. Arguing about people at work in our minds. Exactly. You know, is, getting irritated with people from work. You know, if, work is yeah. work is like, it's like a family. In fact, it does take place with your family because I've got a family. I think more about work than I think about my family. This is true. It's so irritating. so to say yeah. that there is a work-life balance, I think, I think it's impossible. But so I don't see that it has to be an us and them situation. But come back Why to, is it not the holistic you? Come back to the real estate thing, because I think that is absolutely right. So if we come back to... Did you just say I was right? You, you were definitely right there in this instance. Wow. And the thing well, is sir. that I totally agree. Work-life balance is not accurate these days because we're now always... So then you come back to this thing, right the way back to what are cities... What are workspaces? What are work? Yes, absolutely. There are different types of jobs and roles that people need to be. So let's say you are on the production line and you are part of that production yes. line that makes cars. You need to be there. You need to be there because you're part of that yes. production. If you are a doctor and you're in surgery, you just cannot you be up at Byron need and to be on there. the phone. You've got to be there. But the point is how we do our thing. Is there therefore the need for all of this eyesore infrastructure that we've got right no, in front of so us. No, so I, I would agree with you in terms of there are things that need to be done at certain times, face-to-face. You know, you, there are things that absolutely you need to show up for. But for me personally, I like to split my time. So I go into the office 
pretty much every day, but not for full days. So I'll do a few hours at home and then I'll come into the office and split my time. Do I think that everybody needs to get on public transport and come into the city and that this is the way of the future? No, but I do agree with what you said in terms of the coming together, the sharing of ideas. And, and if we are looking at work as, our, as a kind of family, then to bring that together, to be able to communicate face-to-face, to share and enjoy each other's company as well, I think is also massively important. And I really look forward to the days of the week where my whole team come together at Barangaroo and we have a laugh and we'll make the effort to go for lunch together, you know, on that day. And that day of the week, two days of the week, they're really good days because we come together, we share ideas, we talk through our problems and it's it's really constructive. I agree that we should have like a hub where we come together for those bits and then what you do with the rest of your time And, you know, in terms of this work-life separation, everyone can, you know, instill or have their own rules. I I have a rule, don't call me before 9am. I won't answer the phone before 9am. I will respond to a message before 9am. I will have checked my emails well before 9am, but I don't want to speak to someone before 9. And my whole team know that. Everybody knows that I don't take calls before 9. And that is absolutely accepted. Mm. And I'm going to bring it back to the work or the office environment, the city environment, which, which says, so our environment, and he started right at the beginning and said, what fascinates about real estate? I said, it wasn't really, it's places and spaces. The ability for where we walk into every morning, um, if we walk into it, to shape how we think and our life experience cannot be underplayed. And so therefore, so I'm going to go into this thing of real estate and or government and or policies, I don't even know who it lands onto or bring back to ourselves. The role of real estate within that to challenge this paradigm, which I think is a decaying paradigm, particularly in what you said, which is the work-life balance doesn't exist, more into one, which is that people feel they've got a herd into the cattle carts and come in and come it just in. makes me feel sorry again yeah. to interrupt but it makes me think you know when people talk about i don't want to go oh, i don't want to go to work i don't want to yeah. oh i hate my job i wonder how many people actually don't like their job or just don't like the environment I from which the job I believe... or perhaps the people but you know how much does that environment impact on how you feel about your job i would say the vast majority because if you think of actually what we do in real estate, which is a really fun, transactional, mm. very social, there's always something happening yeah. here. And to your question, I think that the immediate environment and therefore the people and the behaviours and the attributes shapes the massive lion's share about how we feel about our job. So I come back to then the role of real estate within it. Mm-hmm. Well, no, that? I was just going to say, and it's interesting because we've gone through the whole activity-based working and you know, people putting table tennis tables in offices and, and has that really solved the problem or is that just a no, veneer over like, an issue? Like three, I don't think it does solve the problem. Three enjoy playing table, table tennis, tennis. And they have good fun, like I used to go and play Yes, but everyone players. else is just getting hacked off with the guys that are continually playing table tennis. So I think that those things are like a thin veneer over what is the problem that you are pointing out, which is the traits to work, yeah. the actual environment. So... I think this COVID-19 thing has escalated the problem and it's actually being dealt with now and seriously considered rather than being papered over. 
So our global slogan, connecting people and property perfectly. Yes. We must ask the question in the view that we've got here, which we call it 270 degrees. Mm. Do we think that we are connecting people and property perfectly in the city, this beautiful, absolutely the lucky city? Do we think we're doing it? And as it's a little bit of a loaded question, because I'm going to say the answer is no, what do we need to do in order to get nearer to perfect? I would go back to what I said earlier in terms of change. I think we need to listen to our clients. And it frustrates me that I still witness and see people going in with prescribed answers before they've even heard the problem. We're not listening we and we're didn't not bring prescribed answers. We're making it up on the spot. I know. Well, I did bring some notes, but you've taken me on a tangent. Um, I think that we need to listen more and then we need to think outside the box and nothing frustrates me more than people going in with a pre-prescribed answer, which is based on the back of, well, that's what we've always done, you know, rather than actually listening to the problem, thinking outside the box, how can we actually solve this problem? But it is, it's big to ask people to be the, the groundbreaker, to be the, you know, the guinea pig, you know, try this new way of doing it. And that's a big ask. And I think what ha- what has happened now with COVID-19 is that we're all in the position where we're going to be the guinea pig. It's how it is that those two parties that you described earlier, it's which one comes to the fore and then how things move forward. I'd be really disappointed if we get to the end of all of this and we kind of go back to the old way of doing things and nothing changed. And I've spoken to people who absolutely think that that's what's going to happen, Mm. that we're just going to go back to the old way of doing things. And I would be really disappointed if that was the case, because I don't think the majority of people in their heart of hearts want to go back to that. And that's why, you know, people choose to become plumbers because they can't picture themselves sitting, staring at a screen all day Mm. as if that's what everybody, well, because that's the understanding of what everybody that works in one of these buildings does. We sit, we look at screens. Mm. Um, It doesn't have to be that way. And obviously we are, as you say, we're very lucky, you know, in what we do, we're constantly meeting new people and new challenges and new exciting conversations with people it's you know it's the part of my job that I love the most is is meeting new people and I'm really pleased that we can go back to doing that face to face but I think this it would be massively disappointing if Mm. we went back to a everybody in the office at nine and everybody out at five I don't I don't think that that is what brings out the best in people agreed I'm going to leave you the last word here's a one thing question go on if there's one thing that either needs to change mm-hmm. or there's one question that needs to be posed, you can wrap it how you like. What is it that needs to occur in order to cover the gap from being what I think you and I have come to an agreed consensus, which is the let's all shuffle back in and do things as we were doing before, this feigned separation of work from home actually is not, A, it doesn't exist, mm. and B, we, you and I don't believe it's the right way. What has to happen in order so, Someone needs to get bold. Our, our advice as agents needs to be solid, and that does need to be based on evidence. We can't, Erin and Ed said, therefore, you know, we do need some data to support this and, and that will no doubt come out. But someone needs to be bold. We need to be bold in our recommendations to our clients. We need to not always just be yes people. We need to actually give solid advice, 
evidence-based advice and someone needs to be bold and make it happen and try this formally because at the moment I feel like yeah we're just sort of people are just waffling through and I assume that things will change perhaps after the Christmas break or you know Mm. depending on what happens with you know what do they call that second wave second waves yeah there's my first wave yeah there's my second wave um what's your third wave there isn't one um then yeah we'll see what happens but I think boldness I agree. Make I a move. I did say you're going to have the last word, but no, do you know what? I'm no, just too you excited can't. by you what you said. You can't do it. I think that is Knight Frank's opportunity. I agree. We are advisors. We've been in the game for around 120 years, and we're not in the business to be floppy and wishy-washy and say what we think needs to be said in order to get the transaction done. And you're right. We should be bold. I'm going to use the word courageous. And we should stick by our guns. I agree. And give the advice that we all feel is right, which is there is absolutely a change that is necessary. And real estate is right in the thick of the change. Yes, you can't raise the ground and remove everything. But if I think of in Sydney, let's give one opportunity that is fast approaching, which is that whole move west and so that western corridor and I'm not mm. going out as far as Badgeries just yet I'm thinking as you go down towards the university precincts you go down towards Central Station and that whole new what do they call it STEM yep. precinct technology and innovation precinct that they're building out there they've got an, an opportunity to actually um, provide which is a very high student population a working environment that actually responds to how that generation wants to work. And it'll be really fascinating if they do. And I think that there are some major developers who are actually quite um, forward-leaning who are involved in that conversation. If they do that, I think it'll put the current CBD landscape to shame. Hmm. And I hope they do that. I want to thank you for your time, Erin. Oh, and thank you for your thoughts. Well, all all my thoughts are always considered. As is apparent. As is apparent. Signing off. Wonderful. Signing off. From the Shard Board. Sayonara. Level 22. Ciao. 123 Pitt Street. 123 Pitt Street. It's been Aaron. And it's been Ed. Good night.